Welcome to this week's Energy Show. We talk a lot about solar and other renewables, and I'm confident that solar and battery storage and wind will be the, the fundamental sources for future energy. But the reality is that our society, our economy, we all rely on coal, natural gas, and nuclear for energy. That's electricity, heat, processes, industry, transportation. That's where the vast majority of our energy is coming from. And it's kind of good to look at the current breakdown of that. And the best place for this historical data is from the U.S. Energy Information Agency. Now, the EIA has really great historical data. I've just been looking at their data over the last 15 years. Unfortunately, their projections are almost always wrong because they're basing it on the past as opposed to kind of these new technical developments. They completely missed the boat on solar and continue to do so. But they've got good historical breakdowns. And here in the U.S. in 2014, 82% of the energy used in the U.S. came from fossil fuels, mostly oil, you know, or gasoline. The rest, natural gas, coal, 8% came from nuclear. So uh, 82 and 8, 90% of uh, the energy in the U.S. was from fossil fuels and nuclear. And only 10% was renewables. Now, of that 10%, it was mostly hydroelectric. We did a great job uh, over the last 100 years in the U.S. of building big dams and generating electricity from that. We also get a lot of energy from biomass, and that's basically burning wood. But And then a smaller percentage from wind, geothermal, and solar. Now, they've got good breakdowns at the EIA for where we're getting our electricity from. And when it comes to generating electricity in 2014, still 39% of the electricity in the U.S. came from coal. 27% last year was from natural gas. Big transition from coal to natural gas, and that number is going to continue to shift. 19% from nuclear, 6% from hydropower. So you've got 93% of the power from fossil fuels, nuclear, and hydro. And renewables were only 7%. And of that renewable mix, what's really interesting, and this is all, you know, a fairly recent phenomenon, 4.4% was from wind, 1.7% from biomass, 0.4% from geothermal, and only 0.4%, tiny percentage, from solar. But that number's way up from just five years ago. And the other part of the electricity generation was from petroleum. We used to generate a lot of electricity from oil. We hardly do at all anymore. Some states like Hawaii are still quite reliant on, on petroleum. But we've shifted pretty much over from petroleum to natural gas. So that's our breakdown now. But it's evolving very, very steadily. Now, these shifts are very long they're very long time frames. You can't, even if you have this great new technology, it's years and years and years before it really is deployed in any scale. And the reason is you think about these industrial processes that we have to go through in order to change our fuel source. I mean, just look at the U.S.'s energy generation over the past few hundred years going from from wood to coal to oil to natural gas to, to nuclear. Just think about it. In order to say, hey, we're going to get a lot of power from, from natural gas, you need a lot of cheap natural gas. And that's only been a fairly recent phenomenon. If you're going to generate a lot of nuclear power, as, as we were kind of starting to do 50, 75 years ago, that came from mining a lot of uranium and finding a way to harness the atom and generate uh, nuclear power. And it's the same thing going back to coal. I mean, it, it took a while to be able to mine and process that coal. And once you have that fuel, 
Then you need to build the power plants. You need to build the infrastructure so you can generate that power and transmit it. So these are long transitions. Just to give you an idea, it used to take 20 years to get a nuclear plant started from, hey, we're going to build a plant. Utilities would say we want to build a new nuclear plant to when it's going. Most recently, that that has shifted way out. The most recent plant that's coming online now took 36 years. There's a plant in Tennessee that's almost ready. 36 years ago, they started. And you can just imagine the impossibility of, of saying we're going to power, we're going to generate more power from nuclear um, power if it takes 36 years to put a plant in place. Now, maybe they can shorten that to 25, but it's still going to take a long time. So a lot of safety issues, a lot of considerations. Now, when you look at other kinds of plants, like natural gas plants, those things usually can, you know, from a plan to the plant going, maybe five years on the really short side to 10 years. There's a fairly new plant here in San Jose called the Metcalf Energy Center. It's about 550 megawatts. That, that didn't take forever. And in terms of solar generating facilities, those things come online in three to five-year time frame. And we're talking about really big utility-scale plants. And they've got a lot of these right now going in unpopulated areas around the southwest in California. You know, three to five years to get these plants going, and they're pretty good size. And so you think about how we're going to meet our future energy needs. It takes a long time to plan for these plants. And you think about the the compelling need for us to change over to cleaner fuel sources. I mean, we can't wait 36 years to transfer to nuclear energy with more nuclear plants if we had this global warming problem hitting us in the face. So these energy transitions take a long time for power plants, but they also take a long time for other uses of energy that our economy depends on. You think about cars and trucks. So before you say, hey, we're going to power our vehicles with a new energy source like hydrogen or batteries or something, first you've got to develop that power source and make sure that you have enough of the fuel source. So even though we can make vehicles that are run on hydrogen, the problem is that there's no hydrogen infrastructure and there's no way to generate the hydrogen. So there's not a lot of hydrogen. We started our vehicles back 100 years ago being powered by batteries because it was actually pretty easy to make batteries then. And we gradually transitioned to gasoline as gasoline became more common and less expensive. And we've been depending on gasoline cars since you know early 1900s. And now we're gradually transitioning back to batteries. Why? Well, there's plenty of electric power. And you know, we can talk about how we can make that cheaper. There's plenty of electricity. The problem is that you've got to make the batteries inexpensive enough so that you can actually power the cars. And that's taken many, many years. And it really wasn't until we had inexpensive or relatively inexpensive lithium-ion batteries that were light enough to go in cars that were able to do that. The heavy lead-acid batteries, plenty of those, but they're just not great for long-distance propulsion because, you know, who wants to drive around a 10,000-pound car that has a 300-mile range? It's just, like, way too heavy. So it takes a long time to develop the power source. And then once the automakers say, all right, well, we want to use a new fuel source, it takes them 10 years to bring that vehicle to market. You think about back to like the 1996, 1997, when GM had something called the EV1. It was the, the first kind of electric vehicle. It wasn't another 15 years before they, they really started hitting their stride with the Volt. Prius 
had a, a plug-in hybrid you know, back uh, at the early part of the last decade, but really took another 10 years before that became ubiquitous. And then you think about once you have these new fuel sources, they're going to be needed a long time. People are driving their cars for 10 or 20 years. I mean, they still got my really old cars and, and they're going to continue to run. So gasoline's out there. Battery cars have been out there for the last 10 years or so, and, and they're going to be around for another 20 years. They basically don't wear out. So what's important when we talk about these new power sources is what we're, we're mining now, what we're refining now, what we're digging out of the ground or the power sources we're building now, solar or, or wind or whatever, and we're starting to build at scale now, it's going to take many years. But these are the power sources of the future. There was a great article in Bloomberg News summarizing these trends uh, a month ago or so. It's, the article is called Fossil Fuels Just Lost the Race Against Renewables. Now, I, you know, I, I don't exactly think they lost the race yet, but they're way, way behind and it's almost impossible for them to catch up. So here's the conclusion of the article. And they kind of looked at the generating capacity that was added in the world last year in terms of new power plants. The point of the article is, the world added 143 gigawatts of new renewable energy generating capacity. And most of this capacity was wind, solar, hydro. In the same year, the world only added 141 gigawatts of new plants that burn coal, natural gas, and oil combined. So more renewable energy plants were put in than fossil fuel plants. And that was the first year, I think 2013, where that changed, 2014 more, and, and you know, it's really shifted pretty dramatically since then. Now, now let's talk about what a gigawatt is. A gigawatt is a billion watts. That's a, a big power plant, as I mentioned, the, the Metcalf Energy Center in San Jose, 550 megawatts. It's about half of a gigawatt, which is about 500 500,000 kilowatts. Now compare that to what, you know, how big is that plant? Well, my car has a 130 horsepower engine. It's an electric car. So that's a 100 kilowatt engine, whereas these normal power plants are 500,000 kilowatts, and we put in 143 gigawatts of renewables. And now that rooftop solar plant that you're putting in your house is tiny. It's only five kilowatts, eight kilowatts or so. But it's basically, you know, it's what the average house needs. So more specifically, what's a gigawatt? And I was just, you know, everybody talks about gigawatt. The first time that everybody heard about the term gigawatt was when Dr. Brown told Marty McFly in, in Back to the Future that his DeLorean needed 1.21 gigawatts of power to travel back in time. So another way of looking at it is the world built enough power plants for 248 DeLoreans to travel back in time. Um, and that, that number is just going to continue to increase. But, you know, it's more seriously, the, the key is that the renewables are steadily gaining on conventional energy. And this trend is not going to change. And here's why. The capacity for renewables just build. We keep putting in more and more of these plants. And these plants... What, any kind of power plant. They're not building these things for 10 years. They're building it for 25 or 30 years, and they usually run them for 50 years or more. So once they go in, they stay, and, and that, that basically forms the foundation for future energy generation. And at the same time, as you put in new plants, we're retiring or decommissioning some of the old plants. A lot of the coal plants are just being decommissioned, shut down. They, they scrap them. They, they melt down the metal, and they, they 
they put another plant in its place. The reason is that the plants are no longer economically feasible. A lot of these nuclear plants are also being decommissioned. Now, unfortunately, it's not that easy to decommission a nuclear plant because you, you, you turn the thing off and then you, you know, it's still glowing in the dark. So it costs literally billions of dollars to decommission a nuclear plant. Most of the times we just kind of leave them there and, and leave it for somebody else to figure out. But, but this ch- transition is really happening. And you kind of look at the capacity additions – And this is where it really becomes significant. In 2013, there was 141 gigawatts of fossil fuel plants put in. 2015, it's projected to be 110. 91 in 2020, 62 in 2025, and beyond. So the, the, the number of new fossil fuel plants going in keeps going down. We're decommissioning the old fossil fuel plants, and at the same time, we're putting in more and more clean energy renewable plants. So 143 gigawatts in 2013, uh, 208 gigawatts of new clean energy plants in 2020, and 279 gigawatts in 2030. These are these are projections, and you know, projections are tough to get right. What will change on these projections is renewable power continues to get more cost-effective. More is going to go in, and we're going to be retiring the fossil plants faster. And as we continue to become more and more concerned about these these global climate change issues, we're going to be making a bigger push towards renewables and away from fossil fuels. Okay, there are two reasons um, for these trends. The first is this climate change urgency that we talked about. And the second really is economic. Now, the global warming climate change issue is obvious to almost everyone, including like 99% of the world scientists. I mean, there's, some, there's some politicians that are still throwing snowballs at each other that don't believe that the globe is getting warmer. But the, the scientists, are, there's almost a complete consensus on that. So we've got some governments all around the world that are putting – good policies in place to encourage clean energy generation. Some countries are just doing it by fiat. You know, you will put in solar plants and you will take out your coal plants. Other countries take time. They have a a political process. Sometimes it's done locally. Sometimes it's done nationally. Here in the U.S., we've got these things called renewable portfolio standards that have been put in place by a number of states, including California. We have local incentives that that cities and states have put in place for renewable power. And we have some federal incentives that are pretty good, like the investment tax credit, which is good until the end of next year. Now, personally, based on my experience, I believe that although climate change is a real problem, when I would talk to my customers or whether they're residential or commercial and say, we have this climate change problem, you want to put in renewable power? The answer is, well, I'll do it if I definitely want to do it and I'll do it if the economics are good. But People aren't going to spend a lot of money out of their own pocket to switch power sources unless it makes economic sense. So the the homeowners, in my experience, you talk to them about an environmental motivation. They might pay a little bit more to go solar for environmental reasons, but environmental guilt doesn't really move the needle much. What really works is when renewables are cheaper. And these initial incentives that I mentioned, that's what really gets the industries going up. The, the renewable portfolio standards for the utilities in California, I mean, the utilities in California now have basically met their renewable portfolio requirements by 2030. We're going to be generating, it's like 20 or 30% of power in California from renewables. So that works. The rebates to businesses and homeowners all around the country, that works. The tax credits, they definitely worked. And you, you think about how the coal industry, the oil industry, the gas industry, the natural gas industry, fracking, everything else like that, a lot of those industries were encouraged with incentives. Same thing. 
many of these incentives for fossil fuels like the oil drilling depletion allowance, those are still in place. So it's in the incentives that spur everybody to new energy sources and changing their behavior so that the economics make sense for them. So what's happened now is we even kind of without incentives, the price of wind and the price of solar power is about the same or less than fossil fuel electricity. And when you include the incentives, it's clearly less. And what's interesting and really significant is solar, especially solar, wind to a certain degree, but especially solar. Solar's on a steady course to continue to get less expensive. There's technological changes that are happening that are making it cheaper and cheaper to deploy solar every year. We're not talking about huge reductions every year. It's 1% or 2% every year, but it's a slow, steady, inexorable improvement. And I've witnessed that you know, just over the past 15 years in the solar industry here in California. We went from solar panels that cost $4 a watt down to less than a dollar a watt. The pricing for systems went from $10 a watt, so typical home, $50,000, to less than $4 a watt right now, $20,000. Big change. And fossil fuels aren't changing at the same price. So what's happening is the power companies see these same economic incentives. They are motivated to a certain degree to sell you electricity at the cheapest price, and they want to generate it for the cheapest price. They're generating electricity from solar and wind, not necessarily because it's cleaner or better for the environment. They're beholden to stockholders who want an economic incentive. They want the stock price to go up. They're generating this power from solar and wind because it's cheaper. The incentives help. The incentives are going away, but solar and wind are still cheaper. It's kind of ironic that we still need to incentivize nuclear so much. I don't think there's ever going to be any new big nuclear plants going in in the U.S. simply because it takes a really long time. I mean, 36 years from, from plans to getting a plant in place is just way too long. That's, that's just going to consume a lot of R&D and, and development dollars, and it's not going to help our immediate energy problem at all. And by the same token, we're not going to see any new coal plants either. These coal power plants are now required to be clean, and you know, there's a lot of pushback about that's not fair to coal because it's a dirty fuel and can't be clean. There's a lot of talk about clean coal. And you know, I would always scratch my head and say, you know, how could we make coal generating power clean because it's very expensive to clean the coal? And so the reality is we can have cheap coal power. We can have clean coal power. But we can't have cheap and clean coal power. And the reason is that on these coal plants, the scrubbers, the CO2 capture and sequestration, all the extra control systems and equipment that you need, it's just really expensive. It's expensive on an operating cost basis. So the dollars, the price per kilowatt hour from a clean coal plant is just way more money than from a natural gas plant and way more money per kilowatt hour than solar. And that's why we're not building any more coal plants and utilities realize this. So what's interesting is, and we've kind of overcome the technological hurdles that slowed down renewables. When solar panels started getting cheap, you know, I'm talking about less than a dollar watt. And sometimes you can see from a manufacturing standpoint, solar panels are advertised for 50 cents a watt. I mean, that's, that's like a 10th of what they were 10 years ago. So the panels are cheap, and that used to be the biggest cost. There's other big costs related, and that's why the system still costs $4 a watt, but we can talk about that at another time. The technology required for making cheap solar plants, it's done. 
It's just a matter of deploying the plants and getting them in the ground or on the roof. There's plenty of natural gas, and what's really interesting is the reason why there's a lot of natural gas now is we have this technology called fracking, and it took 20 years to develop the, the fracking technology, and people can argue about whether it's clean or good or not, but the reality is big investments went into fracking, and now we're able to get some cheap natural gas. I don't know for how long, but it's there. The problem with coal is that we haven't found the technology that's cheap enough to clean it up and generate coal electricity cheaper. And I'm just kind of taking it back to a thermodynamic reason that it just takes too much energy to clean the coal. It's not going to happen. And nuclear has suffered because we just can't make it safe cheaply. We can make it cheap. It's not safe. But we really don't even know how to make nuclear power um, super inexpensive and also safe. So will these trends change? No. The economics aren't going to shift back to fossil fuels or nuclear. The environmental issues are, are going to continue. And in fact, I think they're going to become even more important as we continue to see the global climate warming up slowly, gradually. But there's two other really big factors that we have to consider. And this is kind of reality. One factor is consumers. And the other factor is jobs. So when you talk about consumers, right now, there's solar on half a million buildings in the U.S., there's going to be solar on a million buildings by the end of 2016. These are homes and businesses. Every home that has solar has some voters in it. These people vote. They vote for what they like. They vote for what they use. And they're going to increasingly vote for clean energy policies. Now, 10 years ago, there was you know 10,000 people voting for solar. Now there's going to be a million people voting for solar. And by the same token, there's a lot of people working in the solar industry. The jobs are growing steadily. I was looking at a statistic. 1.3% of all new U.S. jobs last year were in the solar industry. Most of these jobs are doing solar installations like we do at Cinnamon Solar. By the end of this year, there's going to be 210,000 people employed in the solar industry. It's twice as many people in the, in the coal industry, and it's just in California. There's more people in the solar industry than in the utility industry, and that's kind of amazing. You know, talk to anybody uh, in California or in, in states where solar's gotten pretty big, and everybody has a friend that's in the solar business, and all these people vote, and they're going to be voting for clean energy. They're going to be voting for solar, and that's just something that's going to continue. Heck, you know, there's even a very highly regarded organization called Vote Solar, and they're doing great. So what's going to happen here? How is this going to evolve? Well, there's going to be a slow and steady shift to solar, and the shift is going to be to solar with storage. So the solar's there. The storage is just starting to come online. We have energy storage for cars, electric vehicles, so batteries are getting cheaper. In 10 years, these battery storage systems for homes, for businesses, for utilities, they're going to be very affordable. So that's a trend that's not going to stop. The solar deployments on rooftops are going to continue. And over the next 10 years, we're going to see more and more systems with storage. And the reason why solar with storage is so important is because then you can solve the intermittency problem of solar. You can put in as much solar as you possibly want, cover every rooftop with solar. And you're, if you're storing that solar locally, that solar energy locally, you've got plenty of power at night or when there's spikes. It's just like, it's going to take time though. It's just like the shift that we had from, from horses 100 years ago to cars. We used to have horses, stables, buggy whip makers all over the country. That was a big industry. But, you know, as gasoline became cheap, cars started getting out there. I mean, it took 50 years to get everybody driving cars, and now we just have horses for recreation. So just kind of looking forward, I'm not really bashing coal and nuclear. I'm just talking about the future. But, you know, some people have said that I'm, that I'm doing a little bit of bashing. I'm, I'm looking at the reality here as far as the costs of those fuel sources. Um, we're going to have gasoline for cars 
and natural gas for heating and electricity generation for a long, long time. But as the Bloomberg article says, fossil fuels have are losing the race and against renewables. In other words, more power plants are going in with renewables than fossil fuels. And most importantly, what's even more important about them losing the race, they, these fossil fuels can't catch up because they're on the wrong side of the technology trend. The technology for renewables keeps improving and, you know, the fossil fuels, it's like, hey, it's a fossil, it's old. It's not going to improve that much. And they're never going to catch up. And you've got that trend of more and more generating capacity, whether it's rooftop solar or battery storage, whatever. Um, that's where we're going in the future. And, and it's going to be a nice, clean economy. And what I think is most significant is we're going to be generating power for less cost than we were before. Unfortunately, we're going to be using more power, but our cost generation is going to be down. Well, that's all the time we've got on this week's Energy Show. Thanks to all of our listeners for joining us today. And if you missed any of today's show, you can always go to our website at cinnamonsolar.com and listen to the podcasts. (music) 